These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources in partnership with the Nebraska Rural Radio Association. Promotional support provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine and partial funding provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, hi again, everyone. I'm Bryce Tuskit, and thank you so much for joining us today on Market Journal. Happy December to you. As we embark here on the final month for 2023, we have another full show for you. Agoro Carbon Alliance will be sharing their thoughts on carbon markets. Mike Briggs is going to stand by to offer his thoughts on the cattle markets. And we'll look back on warmer days and recap the summer grazing tour. Those stories are straight ahead, but first, you might remember last week we joined you from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Of course, there were lots of radio broadcasters on hand, those who share their news, markets, and weather, both on AM and FM radios. A Nielsen study shows that more than 80 million Americans listen to AM radio in particular each month. But some vehicle manufacturers have been taking steps to remove AM from their dashboard. Had a chance to sit down with one AM radio station owner to get his thoughts on that situation. Radio station owner Brian Whittakin, owner of WRDN Radio in Wisconsin. You are quite passionate about this issue. Why is that, Brian? We own a radio uh, station in Durand, and most of my farmers in my local community rely on our AM radio signal. And it's to take that out of the dashboard. The farmers are going to lose out, the local community is going to lose out, and, and really it's going to be end up being another subscription that people just can't afford and it's very unreliable to base everything off the internet. Seems like with some of the car makers, they're, they're kind of moving to more of that subscription model. There are people out there now willing to pay for radio delivery, but in your part of Wisconsin, a lot of our viewers today in Nebraska, they don't necessarily have access to all of that, the same level of streaming services out there. Is that what you hear as you, as you get feedback on this issue? Yeah, there's that. There's also the, how much more do we have to pay? I've, paid, I've had farmers tell me I've paid $70,000 for this truck and their AM receiver in it sounds terrible, but in my 1996 Silverado work truck that has an AM stereo receiver in it, and we broadcast an AM stereo, the farmers are like, you have FM on the AM, how did you do that? And, and they're, they're furious about this. It's like, wait a minute, we're paying this kind of money, and now you're telling me I gotta pay even more just to be able to get farm news and markets or listen to the local ball game or whatever? That, that's where people are mad. Yourself and others rallied around this issue, took it up uh, with the folks in Washington, D.C. even. As you have visited with lawmakers on this issue and those in the, the Federal Communications Commission, what's their, what are their thoughts? They are very concerned that this is happening. They are concerned that it would be a loss of another local outlet for inf news and information. And that's why you're seeing the pushback from D.C. with the AM for Every Vehicle Act 
getting bipartisan support. I mean, I don't think anyone watching this would ever imagine the most liberal senator in the United States Senate, Edwin Markey, gets together with the most conservative senator, Ted Cruz of Texas, to co-sponsor a bill together. But this is where it happened. My bosses, he and I have had conversations, will say there have been many times where people have predicted the death of AM radio, but what do you know? It's still here today. As an AM radio station owner yourself, where do you see this industry going? Radio, but in particular, AM. It's gonna be a lot like farming and agriculture after the pandemic. Everybody started to do what? Local food, go to the local butcher shop, go to the local farmer. And that's what you're seeing. Our success is we do local news, local farm news, local farm markets, high school games, church services. We even have a polka show. It's because of that connection to the community. That's why people continue to listen to us. And I think you're seeing more of that from AM stations. You and I are catching up today at the annual gathering of farm broadcasters across the country. I know this was a panel discussion that was discussed and I thought an interesting point that came out of that. Somebody had asked, what should AM radio stations be doing better to ensure their place on the dashboard? Your thoughts on that conversation? One, you gotta have decent programming. You gotta have something that people want to listen to. The other thing is, is for the owners, they need to make sure that their AM stations are working properly uh, and, and sounding the best that they can because of the receivers. You can't complain that the receivers are bad if you're sending out a bad signal. So those are the two biggest things I think AM station owners need to do. And for the customers, the listeners and the farmers and the ranchers, you need to complain to, to the car companies as well and say demand a decent AM radio in, the, in your vehicle. And they can make them with a couple lines of code because it's just a computer on, in the car or the truck. What else is important? I haven't had the chance to ask you about yet, Brian. The other, you know, the other big thing with this is, you know, we broadcast in AM stereo. And when we converted a, a couple of years ago, this is technology from the 80s and 90s. I had farmers, a lot of farmers have a work truck, started calling me going, why is it on my 96 Silverado you sound like FM and on my 2023 Silverado that I paid $80,000 for, you sound like a cell phone, what happened? And that's been the big, to, to explain that and get that information and that, that education out to the farmers and ranchers. And, and they know, they rely on us. Us at NAFB, we've been seeing how much farmers and ranchers rely on AM radio every day. Not only for the farmers and markets, but the high school football game. Or Nebraska's playing on a Saturday. What's everybody listening to? The radio probably in the combine. And so that's what makes things, that's what makes this important. We appreciate Brian sitting down with us. Another study came out last month during that convention that specifically looked into ag producers' use of radio. That study shows 80% of ag workers say they're tuning into over-the-air radio and they prefer it over streaming audio, podcasts, or satellite radio. AM radio is certainly alive and well all across the countryside. Well, up next, let's look back to the 2023 summer grazing tour that took place around several eastern Nebraska operations. The focus of this year's tour was to help ag producers better understand the wants and needs of urban consumers. Market Journal's Bill Dodd brings us a look from that event. And so our farm has really had a lot of big ups and downs and stops and starts and changes. And uh, it's been quite a yeah, it's important. I don't care what kind of producer you are. Your uh, producers are interconnected. It's a big sorority, a big fraternity, if you will. 
Um, while the systems are extremely different, there's a lot of commonalities. Uh, they run businesses. They need to be profitable. Uh, we in, uh, at the Institute, whether it's our teaching and learning programs through CASNR or Extension, uh, we've got a number of our Extension professionals out here today, or thinking about research. So again, kind of thinking about these integrated systems, which is what we do really well in Nebraska, and in particular at the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources. This is just an opportunity, again, I think, for, for folks who depend on the, having food to know where their food comes from, and then a way to bring people together to find that commonality, I'd say, is the thread of the day. Bodie's place, it'll be great to see. They've spent years prescribed fire, uh, restoring grasslands uh, after they've been in crop, all sorts of things. And Tim sort of mentioned this, but my goal for the day. You know, you learn more by seeing and doing and networking. And one of the things I said today is we're carpooling, and I think that's very important. We want people to interact with one another, some people that you normally wouldn't know. Uh, maybe it's a uh, urban neighbor that you don't know and then you can kind of tell you their, your story, they tell you theirs and so that's on these tours, those are the type of things you do. You get interaction, you learn a lot and then we've got a panel discussion that you'll be able to ask a very educated, very knowledgeable panel across the spectrum, both rural and urban representatives, your questions and get their input. So I, I think it's a learning opportunity and it's a growth opportunity. And great seeing everybody here. Yeah, I'm Walt Schott, uh, Professor Emeritus with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and my area in research and rangeland ecology and management. Yeah, well, of course, we think about the food, the fuel, the feed, the fiber that we need for a growing world, and we think about Nebraska's role in that, being the third largest ag economy. Uh, both uh, regionally uh, here in Nebraska, the Midwest, the High Plains, but the U.S., North America, and the world. And it really does all start with producers. And so this is a great, this operation uh, here is a great example of a first-generation farmer. I think we just heard that where they pulled in their parents. So it was kind of inverse, right? The, Folks are learning from the kids, and then this family has three little ones who are like eight to 14, so they're learning from mom and dad. And it's this really neat interface of uh, direct marketing to people in Lincoln and Omaha. And so a neat chance, we've got some of the most amazing ranchers here from across Nebraska, and I've been to their places, for them to invest with fellow food producers and fellow stewards is just really pretty spectacular. Now, if you missed this summer's grazing tour, fear not, they will be back next summer. Until then, you can keep up on the upcoming Nebraska Extension events by bookmarking the UNL Extension event calendar onto your favorite web browser. As we shift now over to the markets, it has been a tough stretch for live and feeder cattle. Earlier this week, we took a trip out to Briggs Feed Yard to get Mike Briggs' perspective of it all. You're a man of many words. That's why we like having <laughs> you analyze the markets, but I'll challenge you here. Opening question. Okay. Describe the cattle market over the last month or so in as few words as possible. Hugely disappointing. <laughs> you know, every year we have a rally into the end of the year. Every year. 
and you know people were really betting on it this year bought some people bought some pretty high priced cattle people maybe weren't hedged very good I, I heard about it today there's less shorts on the producer side than there's been in years which is never never good but everybody is expecting a rally into the end of the end of the year and we're having a contra seasonal move now does that mean that after the first year we get a contra seasonal move back i hope so i doubt it but it's this has been hugely disappointing mike you referenced some people you might fit yourself in that camp optimistic when we last talked to you we grind higher into the end of the year what are one or two of the biggest things that have happened since then that led to this down downward trend the first and most important thing and the thing you never seem to realize until after the fact is you know everybody loves the funds when the funds are going your way well they were going our way well you have kind of a point where maybe it made sense fundamentally we went way past that point so then you've got this much blue sky that's going to come off right away and then you add into the fact that we have horrible demand we have because we have a horrible economy and it goes a little further than that and so it it really bust, busted people in the chops, but I, I put almost all of it on the funds. But once again, we all like the funds when it's going our way, so you kind of got to put up with it. Now, some of the things that really disappoint me, I think the CME has to figure out what they want to do on that Friday after Thanksgiving, because there's nobody there. And these algo funds just ruin it, so you have these huge moves on a Friday with no ability, no one there to offset that. And you either need to be full go or just say, hey, look, we're close to Monday. But, you know, they want to make money, so they don't do that. But they've got to figure out something different. I want to come back to the funds in a moment. But first, bring up, it was a Black Friday in the cattle markets. But turnaround Tuesday, that term is thrown around. And that truly did happen. The cattle markets truly did. you and I visit here on Wednesday. Perhaps is that the low we'll see through the end of the year? Would like to think so. Don't know why it wouldn't be. Um, some of that's going to depend on demand. Now, we've gotten the price down. Our, our exports are off tremendously. I think we were down 26% for the year, last, last thing I read. So that needs to get back in gear. Well, our dollar's been high, our beef price has been high, the dollar's gone down, the beef price has gone down. So hopefully we see some of our exports come back, because that always helps. Hopefully you'll see a little better demand here. You've seen gasoline come down, so maybe things aren't so rough, but if you listen to some of the stuff out there in the economy, it doesn't bode real well. Maybe a beef price is coming down right in time for people to buy a big old ribeye for, for the Christmas that, meal. We need, we need a lot of that. We need some end cuts and all that stuff, yeah. Okay, I want to get to a viewer question submitted this week. This guy uh, wrote in and said, I always sell wean calves in the middle of December. This year I was wondering if I should wait until January. Your thoughts? That's a great question because we didn't get our typical rally. Are we gonna have a contra-seasonal rally after the first year? Because January and February are your two worst beef demand months. But we're supposed to be shorter on cattle than we've been. But that drought has pushed so many cattle into the feed yards that maybe would have been coming in throughout the year. They came in now, so we've kind of got cattle stacked up. Now, do we have fat cattle stacked up? I don't know. So Mike, you're kind of waving this carrot to maybe after the, uh, the new year, we'll start to see prices perhaps grind through. What key factors would you watch to see if that would happen? Exports go up and just better demand because you've beaten this thing up enough, it could rally back. What I personally believe is gonna happen, we might have a small rally, but I think the seasonality of that situation is gonna hurt us. I don't think it's gonna go very far. So what I'd rather see anyway, kind of a little up and then maybe back down and then a really nice rally in the spring when we really need it.
and hopefully that gets going. But we've got to have better demand, and you can't run your prices too high or it's going to stop it. So a few minutes ago, you brought up the funds, and whenever any market goes down, there's a lot of blame game that goes around. People are saying, you know, perhaps the, the futures market is broken. Some people blaming LRP. You referenced the fund. So is there somebody that should be taking the blame for, for this uh, downward trend? The LRP the thing is a great question because that's a rumor going around. And, and well, why would LRP have anything to do with it? Well, when you, as a producer, go in and get an LRP, it's kind of like paying for an insurance policy. You laid out your money. And if the other person on the other end of that LRP goes, I don't think this market's going down because they're typically using that to cover their cattle, a cheap way to hedge their cattle. So if the guy that took the premium, I don't think the market's going to go down. I'm just going to sit here and collect his premium and keep it. And then all of a sudden it goes and it goes about so far and he says, uncle, and then they sell it down even more. Let's wrap up here. It's probably the last time we're going to talk to you here in 2023. How are you going to remember this year? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I saw my nephew over the weekend and he's a rancher and I said, you know, nobody's going to replace, pull heifers out of this deal until we see rain. And he said, Mike, until we can make this market be better for just six months out of a 10 year cycle, nobody's going to replace cattle. And I thought that was interesting. And you're coming to that head here. You, you, people are going to lose a lot of money here if this thing doesn't come back in December and January. At some point, this thing has got to change so we have more stability for the producer. <laughs> you know, it's been a great year from a weather standpoint, and it's been a profitable year. Has it been perfect? No, they never are. We appreciate Mike taking the time to join us this week. Coming up next week, we will be joined by Heather Ramsey to discuss the grain markets. Of course, Heather is with the ARC Group. She'll be joining us from the Nebraska Ag Expo. Coming up in a bit, we'll tell you a little bit more about our next week's show, but do want to tease that we want to invite you out to join us for that live taping of Market Journal. Last week, we shared with you a bit about a Nebraska Christmas tree farm located near Seward. That's just one of many located in the Cornhusker State. Dan Hoppy of Bloomfield up in northeast Nebraska has been raising Christmas trees since 1988. He has a passion for helping customers find that perfect Christmas tree. But raising trees, it is not just a seasonal job. It takes work year-round, including close inspection of trees to prevent insect and diseases, as well as, of course, planting new seedlings each year. You can learn about what it takes to operate a real Christmas tree farm in the December issue of The Nebraska Farmer. What is now time to check in on weather with Nebraska Extension's Eric Hunt. Eric, as we talk about Christmas trees, some snow definitely helps make that a perfect experience as you look for a real Christmas tree. As we turn to the week ahead, any chance for snow? Well, thanks, Bryce. I'm not seeing any new snow in the forecast that you have to trudge through to get a Christmas tree this week. Matter of fact, I'm not seeing much of anything in the way of impactful weather across most of the state this week. That's because we're going to be dominated by upper level ridging for most of this next week, particularly as we head into the middle of the week. Uh, so we'll, with this, we'll have relatively dry conditions pretty much the entire week. There is a slight chance of showers across the state Monday afternoon and early Tuesday morning. Uh, again, if we get anything, it would be relatively light. And right now, the signal's too weak to really even say who all would get anything if they were to get something at all. Uh, but we will definitely be very mild for most of the next week, or at least mild to very mild. Uh, we expect temperatures to be at least in the 50s for a couple of days for everybody. And I think next Thursday, I think we'll see a widespread temperatures uh, 55 to 60, maybe even some spots getting the lower 60s. Uh, cooling back down toward more seasonal levels by late next week, uh, certainly by Saturday. And I think we have to keep an eye on something brewing 
uh, later next week in the southwestern part of the United States that might be swinging up into the central plains of western Corn Belt. Uh, that might be bringing us some decent moisture. And again, the CPC is somewhat picking up on this. They're showing most of the northern half of the country uh, with better than average chances of precipitation uh, as we head into the middle of the month. Uh, definitely still showing a pretty strong warm signal. Again, I think that ridge will be the most prominent over our area later next week. Uh, probably moving further to the east of the U.S. as we head into uh, the week after next, but still probably going to be relatively mild here, uh, at least through the middle of December. Uh, looking at the CFS, there is some chance we could see a cold snap as we head to the week before Christmas. That's a little ways out yet, so I'm not really putting a whole lot of uh, store by that just yet. Uh, the CPCs uh, did release their December forecast a couple weeks ago. At the time, they were relatively bullish on precipitation uh, for a lot of our region, including Nebraska in the month of December. Uh, so again, this actually would be relatively good news, particularly uh, if we can keep our soils unfrozen, if we can get a couple, one more good rain or a good snow on there. Uh, not showing too much signal in the way of temperatures. Again, most of the warmth weather is expected to be further east of the U.S. where we're expecting more ridging in the month of December. All right, moving into the update portion of it, the drought monitor, which was released uh, earlier today on Thursday, uh, showed some improvement across the sand hills. So now we have no more abnormal dryness for most of the sand hills. Uh, the week before, we did see some improvements in Clay and Knuckles County, where we went from D4 to D3. Uh, so again, drought conditions are still quite bad in that area, but we did see a little bit of improvement. Uh, most places in the state have not had a lot of precipitation in the last 30 days. We did see some decent amounts here down closer to the Kansas border and in parts of north central Nebraska. Uh, again, a lot of places in the state did pick up some snow last week. Uh, heaviest amounts were in Hooker County and out toward uh, Scotts Bluff, uh, where we did have a 10-inch amount there in Hooker County. Uh, lighter amounts down here in southeastern Nebraska, but again, this is pretty good moisture. This has been part of the state that's been very, very dry uh, for most of the fall, so the snow was welcome. Uh, soil temperatures generally are under 40 across most of the state, and soil moisture conditions are generally where they have been for most of the fall. Thanks, and back to you, Bryce. All right, thank you very much for the update, Eric. We do appreciate it. Carbon credits have been a hot topic over the last few years. We were able to catch up with a representative from Agoro Carbon Alliance to get some of their thoughts on how carbon credits can bring value to the producer. Let's talk carbon credits now. Clay Creighton from Agoro Carbon Alliance joins us. You've got opportunities for row crop farmers, but also ranchers. We'll talk about that as aspect in a second, but mm -hmm. for row crop producers, what's the opportunity today? Yeah, the opportunity today um, would be if a row crop producer was willing to either reduce tillage or go to no-till. And we consider those technically two separate practices. So if a guy's doing full cultivation, but he wants to reduce the past, that could technically qualify for reduced tillage or stair-stepping it down, you know, vertical till, strip till as we go there. So um, that's one opportunity. Another one would be cover crop implementation. So if you're brand new to cover crops and want to try ryegrass, that would qualify. Or if you've already been doing rye, and let's say you want to add a lagoon species like a pea or a vetch or a clover, that would now qualify as well too. And that's a relatively new practice we have. And then the last piece is more around nitrogen management. So synthetic rate reduction. So if you're either um, lessening what you've been doing on average for synthetic or replacing can technically qualify you. So if you utilize a manure or if you went to more split application, there are ways we can get qualified around that. For our viewers today that say, I've been no-till for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. I've been sequestering, do they have an opportunity or do you have to truly make a change to be able to qualify for some of these programs? So I would say at least have the conversation, at yeah. least check with the growers because um, even if you don't qualify necessarily for the no-till because you've been doing that, Maybe you qualify for the nitrogen piece. Or maybe you qualify, you want to try cover crops in that half section over there or something like that. And then we can still see potentially the benefit of that no-till that you've been doing that too. So I think there's still ways we can get the benefits of that acre involved. It's just finding the right practice, that additionality change so you get that acre qualified. 
How about for ranchers today? There's some opportunities for them as well in this space. Yep, yep, absolutely. So that's been a, a pretty big opportunity for us recently, and especially the fact that we can offer both. It's huge for Nebraska, like some of these, in like Southern Iowa, some of these areas that former farmers have both. So on the range of pasture side of things, um, first one would be grazing management. So there's a number of different ways you can qualify for this one, um, like rotational grazing, like alternate rotations, or if you wanted to add some additional cross fencing, or if you wanted to adjust stocking rates, or I've even had growers, um, they would use water sources to rotate, not necessarily move them like themselves, like manually, but use that as a rotational method. So it's all different methods uh, that you can get involved in grazing management. Um, the next piece would be biodiversity or seeding. So it's just like it sounds, um, you go out and seed a new species, all we need to know is what species you choose and how'd you get it out there. But the nice part about that one is you only have to do it one time during the duration of the contract. And then uh, lastly, for the range of pasture piece would be fertilization on those acres. So a lot of times we'll have growers that kind of seed and fert together type deal. So you can get more germination factor on that. And similarly to the seeding, you only have to do it one time to be able to qualify. And it just has to, we just have to know the end source and then what rate you go. You can technically use synthetic if you want to, but you can use a compost, a manure, uh, things of that nature. The carbon credit program, as I understand it, correct me if I, if I have this wrong, working with producers, implement some practices, they're compensated for that. Ultimately, that carbon credit is sold to someone else to help offset their carbon emissions. Yeah. Can you share with us some of the examples of, of who Agoro partners with on, kind of on the, not necessarily the farmer side, but on the, on the other side of it? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so like we're in the voluntary market, so yes, okay. we do. Um, it's companies that have made the pledge to be carbon neutral by 2050 you know, with the Paris Accord Act. Uh, so it's a number of different producers. It could be, it could be airlines. It could be uh, large motor companies. Um, things of that nature, like who we're selling to, um, and it, it does kind of depend because one buyer might be like, "Hey, I'd like to buy X amount of credits of your cover crop acres, that too." And you know that's what they're interested in. They might not be interested in the range of pasture side of things. So um, being able to navigate that and figure out what buyers are interested in is a, is a big job too. And we have a full team on that as well. What's the, the best way you can convince a producer who's a bit skeptical of the carbon credits? What's the best thing you can say to them to get them on board? Oh, the best thing. I always, I, I educate first. And I know people think that's cheesy, but like I told you on the way here, I was hired as an agronomist first. So like what I usually say is if, if you've been interested in, if you've been thinking about it and it's, you know, you can get enrolled in the program, you would qualify. It increases your revenue stream on that factor and you can at least try it out to see if it's right for you. If you're in the right program, the program will want to work with you, not you work for the program type deal. If you'd like to learn more about Agoro Carbon Alliance, we provided a link to their website. You can find that along with this story over on the Market Journal homepage. Well, before we go, how about this for a social media photo of the week? The social media caption with this photo says, there is no place like Platte Valley equipment for the holidays. Love the spirit, love the decorations up there at the John Deere dealership. Now, coming up next week, I mentioned this, we're going to be broadcasting from the Nebraska Ag Expo set to take place at the Lancaster Event Center. I want to invite you to join us on the Expo EDU stage Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. for a live recording of this show. Hope to see you there. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.